All this month, we're asking you to tell a friend about a podcast they'll love. Right now, think of a friend, your mom, anyone you care about. What podcast would they really love? I'm sure you've already recommended Achievement-Oriented, so try to think of something else. Got it? Now do it. Tell them about it in real life or on the simulacrum of life that is social media. And if they don't know how to subscribe to podcasts, show them how. Then tell us what you recommended with the hashtag Tripod. That's T-R-Y-Pod. Thanks for spreading the word. Hello, and welcome to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's official gaming podcast. I am Jason Concepcion. I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. And deep in the throes of pain resulting from 12 hours straight of Breath of the Wild playing in a (laughs) really bad position, it's Ben Lindbergh. Hi. Not only that, but buried under an avalanche of snow. (laughs) Well, it's not that bad. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't know. I haven't been outside, but it looks bad from my window. Well, there's so much to talk about. So much. Today, we're going to talk to Maddie Myers, uh, who wrote a great story on gaming drugs, Mm -hmm. TLDR, don't take them. And Dr. Kate McGee on uh, esports injuries. Yes. And we should remind everyone, since we're still on our old feed for the moment, as well as our new one, if you haven't subscribed to the Achievement Oriented Only feed yet, you should do so. Just look it up on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. And thanks to everyone who has rated and reviewed. P.S. We're the number one rated podcast in hobbies and games, as far yeah. as I know. And the last time I checked, which was several <laughs> Hopefully days that's ago. still true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely iTunes ranking recency bias, but yeah. we will take it as long as it lasts. There are, there are a lot of hobbies out there and we're, we're still number one. Yep. So thanks to all of you. All right. Well, we have a lot of action to get to. So let's skip the rest of this cutscene. Our first guest took something called Ambrotose Complex and yeah. lived to tell and write about the tale. She is a staff writer, I suppose, for Compete, the new esports venture from Kotaku and Deadspin. So I guess she's helping us extend our streak of having someone affiliated with Kotaku on for four straight <laughs> weeks now. It's a good website. What can we say? It's Maddie Myers. Hey, Maddie. Hello. Yeah, it's very Hello. suspicious. Why do you why do you keep inviting my colleagues onto your show? I I, guess, I noticed the pattern. But yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a new staffer, so you right. Know, I, I had to get in on the ground floor yeah, on my guest appearance. Kotaku doesn't have enough podcasts of its own, so we are just exploiting an inefficiency here. It's true. It's true. We could stand to have several more. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I did drugs and I wrote about it on the internet. And, yes. and that's how you found me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's talk about drugs. Let's let's talk about drugs, shall we? Yeah. Have you um, taken any shady, illicit compounds to enhance your performance for this interview, or is this all natural? I haven't. This is just just water and mac and cheese. That's the Maddie Myers you're getting today. Um, but I'm really surprised that people like this story. People really enjoyed this story, and I'm glad because well, compete I think is a new it's a new vertical, and so mm-hmm. we're trying a lot of new things there. It's only been We're around happy for you're about not three dead. weeks. I'm happy I'm not dead. <laughs> yeah. And um, I have always seen advertisements out there for gaming supplements. I, I'm sure you guys have seen yeah. the occasional product that has, you know, green tea extract or right. other other forms of caffeine is obviously popular. Different stimulants are popular. But um, these products, I'd never taken any of them. I didn't think they would 
really do anything. But I, I saw them and I was like, that'd be funny if I if I took some of these weird drugs and, and wrote an article about it, right? And then <laughs> shockingly, my new bosses agreed to let me do that. <laughs> and <laughs> I did that and I played a bunch of Street Fighter V and, and tried to figure out, uh, tried to compare my performance uh, to when I was sober with taking gaming supplements. That's That's yeah. what I did. So you took something called Ambrotose, you took something called Stimpak, Stimpak which, yeah. which just sounds healthy. You just great, know that Great you're... name on Stimpak. Yeah, yeah these the are great drugs. Just kidding. No one should take these. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. The Ambrotose Complex people, they sent me like a great email, very nice tweets, great PR team. And their company, I was like kind of hard on them in this article because I... They, there's very little evidence to back up whether or not their products do anything like scientists mm -hmm. are, are backing <laughs> me up on that claim. So please yes. don't, don't sue me, Manatech. You're all very kind. Um, <laughs> but the PR guy for Manatech tweeted a link to my article and was like, this is so funny. And I'm like, well, at least you guys are good sports about <laughs> yeah, this because I, I, I tried your your product and experienced no change. So Ambertose Complex is the drug that does basically nothing. Spoilers for my article, I guess. Uh -huh. They come um, from the the no negative publicity school, yeah, I suppose. I mean, maybe it's maybe that's good for them for me to write about about taking it at all. Mm -hmm. It's <laughs> potentially good PR for them. I don't know. Yeah. So what do they claim to do they for you? They claim to increase concentration. A lot mm. of these drugs claim to in increase sort of your concentration and um, like hand-eye coordination, you know, the, the stuff you would want for video games, the limitless drug is right. how I referred to it. Like, you know, everybody wants to believe that there's a drug that you can take that will suddenly make you stronger, faster, better. But mm -hmm. in practice, I don't know that that's really the case. I mean, there's also a lot of stimulant use and abuse in competitive gaming communities. And mm -hmm. that's sort of the serious sad side to covering the topic. Um, there have been controversies where um, some Counter-Strike pros in particular admitted that their coach had been pressuring them to take Adderall and like, you know, joking around like, oh, we were all on Adderall during such and such yeah. tournament, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of comments on that article where people were talking about like Ritalin and Adderall and Concerta and just sort of other like amphetamines and methylphenidate and basically like do those things really help you play games better and that's that's sort of the elephant in the room if i'm talking about taking herbal not stimulants that don't do anything which mm -hmm. ambertose complex doesn't have mm -hmm. anything like that in it but it, yeah. it's that's what all the verbiage says it will do mm -hmm. is is increase your concentration <laughs> could you <laughs> right. could you talk about the sensation of what did you feel when you took Ambrotose Complex? Well, the first, I felt nauseated for an hour and a half the oh, first good. time I took it because <laughs> I was so nervous. And I took it three days in a row. And the other two days, I felt completely fine. I did not experience any side effects at all. But that first day, I was like, what am I doing? What have I chosen yeah. as my path in life? Why did I why did I make these life choices? Who am I? Um, and why am I putting this strange thing inside my body? So I think that anxiety caused me to feel nauseated. But yeah, other than that, I was fine. I don't think Ambertose Complex does anything. That's been my experience. But mm -hmm. Stimpak has caffeine in it, and it has a couple other ingredients that 
are the kind of thing that you might see in Red Bull or like other energy drinks like, you know, B12 and theamine and things like that. That drug made me feel really crappy. So <laughs> I don't recommend that. But yeah. I think if I think if you drink a lot of caffeine, then you might be able to take a stim pack and it won't even feel like anything to you. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, doing the article made me really question, like, does taking stimulants or does taking some sort of herbal remedy that might be more of a placebo, does that, does either of those things really affect my gaming? And I think taking the, taking a placebo or like sort of creating a best situation for, for playing competitive games can help you because you can kind of trick your brain into thinking it's helping. And I, I, in my experience, a lot of competitive games, it's psychological, right? I mean, how well you do. Mm -hmm. So it, you, you just want to create the best possible scenario for performing well and feeling relaxed. So for me, extra caffeine doesn't do the trick, but like taking an herbal supplement, it didn't, it didn't make me game worse. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. So maybe a stim pack would be performance enhancing if you were doing like an all day trading maybe. marathon or something and you had to stay awake. But in any other I mean, context, yeah. it seems like it would it be counterproductive. Yeah. I, I do know that like some some pros play that way. And I find that very unusual. And it's something that I'd like to cover at Compete at some point in the future, just sort of the different methods that that pros have for for trying to play games for an extremely long time or or whether or not they choose to how many hours they practice how long they practice whether they think that it's effective because i've you know seen league of legends pros say that they only sleep six hours a night because they're practicing so often and mm -hmm. i don't know whether that's really effective or not but but i can understand the pressure to do that there's a lot of external pressure so i don't know i'm curious for me having a good night's sleep and and ideally not being on not being high or drunk is, is a good way to play games well, but I'm not sleeping six hours a night and playing League of Legends 15 to 20 hours a day. So right. that's just me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and just to get your hands on these things, you had to order them online. One of them required registration and yes. talking to people. In the You're probably yeah, going to be getting phone call. calls from it? this shady <laughs> Manatech company for the rest of your life because of this one purchase, I'm guessing. Yeah, so. I, I'm going to have to figure out how to cancel that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a hoop I still need to jump through, actually. Actually. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I had to actually call toll free membership number to set up a membership to get Ambertos Complex, which mm -hmm. is really of debatable efficacy. But you know what? It was a fun life experience. Yeah. And I did it so that you don't have to. Right. And citizen journalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> citizen journalism <laughs> in the comfort of my own home. The dubious <laughs> comfort given how yeah. nerve-wracking it is to take these things. <laughs> yeah, and obviously this sort of supplement is not regulated in any way by the FDA. No. So you read about dietary supplements where not only does it not do what it says it will do, but the ingredients on the label are not actually in the product or they're yeah, in different yeah, quantities. Yeah. So I have no way of knowing what's in there. You have no the... idea what you took, <laughs> Because basically. from what I understand, the word supplement means that it's not regulated by the FDA. Right. Uh, yes. That's the word they're allowed to use because of that. So really, I could have been taking anything. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have absolutely no way of knowing. It's exciting. Yeah. Thank you for being our guinea pig. Um, <laughs> as esports gets... Uh, more popular, kind of penetrates the wider culture as more and more and more money gets into it. You would imagine that it would follow the arc of traditional sports vis-a-vis -vis performance enhancers where 
some kind of shady cutting edge pharmacy somewhere would develop some sort of mm. chemical that would actually work or maybe that do you have any kind of sense of how developed that kind of market is now i mean there are various quote unquote smart drugs that are out there yeah 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 there's um, a ton and yeah. i've gotten on all of those mailing lists as well yeah. now they've <laughs> already been contacting me since i wrote this article and i've had to politely be like i'm actually not planning to do this again i'm really sorry that none of you got in on the ground floor for this one time when i did do it but i'm not doing it again and there are so many there are a lot. um yeah but i you know i'm really skeptical and there are there are so many comments on the article that are like, I've tried Adderall and it works great for me. And I, I guess I just want to really caution your listeners and say, if that's your experience, might I recommend going to see a psychiatrist <laughs> for real? Because if you take Adderall and you don't need it, you might feel like you are experiencing a lot of nervousness, anxiety. Like there's a lot of side effects that can happen if you don't have any uh, dopamine deficiency that you're or whatever that you're trying to correct. But if it really helps you, like if you're taking a drug and it's like changing your life in some way, then consider <laughs> consider um, talking to somebody who's a professional. I I don't think that drinking Red Bull or taking Stimpak or any of these similar sort of caffeine B12, like a lot of these other drugs have those kinds of cocktails, like the stuff that you can take legally without talking to a psychiatrist. None of that stuff to me seems like a big deal breaker in gaming. I don't think they're going to outlaw caffeine, but some League of Legends tournaments at least because League of Legends is a big enough deal that this is happening, have started to impose some drug testing regulations. Right. Wasn't the Electronic Sports League at least a, they, a couple of years ago talking about doing that? Or I, They may be, but I, yeah. I know I've read recently about LOL doing it, and they've even imposed rules about smoking pot, which you would really not think would make you any better at playing League, but um, they have <laughs> rules that you are not supposed to do any drugs, including pot, during the tournament time. So you can actually smoke pot the day before and it might still be in effect potentially, or you can have a really bad hangover. But as soon as the tournament day starts, that's that's when they start testing. And I mean, Riot, a lot of these things like like Riot Games is going to have to figure out what kinds of regulations they want to do for for their teams. And Blizzard is starting Overwatch teams and they're going to have to figure out if they want to do drug testing and if they want to do different kinds of regulations. I mean, a lot of this stuff is super new, so they're still figuring out if that rule is necessary and what things should be allowed and what shouldn't be. And I mean, I in researching this, I did find a bunch of competitive gamers who talked about wanting to take the opposite of stimulants, like wanting to take a Valium, like to play StarCraft or whatever, and um, how that would sort of relax them and that would mm -hmm. improve their game. I'm assuming that would also be something that would potentially be outlawed. But it's just sort of interesting because I, I know a lot of people and your listeners probably would assume that stimulants would be the go-to. I, I think actually that's the opposite of what you want, especially for like a really long match, like right. like a StarCraft match or League of Legends right. matches can be very long. You want mm -hmm. something, you want to kind of stay uh, focused somehow. But Yeah. Or, you know, like a lot of esports athletes train in enclosed environments or private. They're just playing themselves or with their mm -hmm. team and then they get out into an arena and there are yeah, big screen, <laughs> hundreds screaming. of thousands of people watching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you would think that beta blockers at least would, yeah. would be useful. And, and that's, you know, that's been banned in some sports, I think, like concentration sports like archery and shooting just because it can enhance your performance or at least 
help it not be degraded. So Right. And so I think that is something that we might potentially see. And I know that other sports, even, you know, physical sports, the normal kind, um, have <laughs> have some rules surrounding Ritalin and Adderall, like you can take it if you have a prescription because mm-hmm. There's weird rules surrounding those drugs. But um, I can imagine that esports will implement similar rules on mm-hmm. that score. But everything else, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. But mm-hmm. it's a weird world right now <laughs> <laughs> where yeah. some, some leagues have regulations, but, but not, all, not all esports have these, these regulations in place yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like every thorny question like this that has been negotiated in a traditional sport or maybe is still being negotiated in traditional yeah. sports is kind of being relitigated. Like you you just wrote about the esports team analyst who was yeah, ca- betting yeah. on his own team's matches, which is okay, which is legal, but is kind of <laughs> questionably ethical. It is still legal. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on a much longer follow-up about that where I talk to a bunch of lawyers and it'll probably be out by the time this show uh-huh. is out. So hopefully people can look for that. Um, but yeah, the world of esports betting is another example of Ooh. something that's that's very unregulated right now. And teams, esports leagues don't really have rules in place to consider the fact that people are gambling on their matches and like, what should they do about that? Should there be rules against players and pros participating in that? But I mean, that's something that other professional sports leagues have had to contend with for many generations. And it's like very quaint for us to be like, oh, right. How do we how do we make a sports league? How do we (laughs) what kinds of drugs should we ban? Should we be telling people not to bet on matches? Like, how do we how do we do any of this? But Mm -hmm. I think that if esports leagues want to be taken seriously, and in theory they do, then that means sort of taking in some of these painful regulations that other sports leagues have already implemented. And it, and it will be annoying. It will feel annoying to be having to implement those things when we're used to living in a world where video games are don't really have any a regulated institutionalized league space. It's all just like amateur leagues and fun, but it, it's starting to get, there's too much money in it. And that means that we have to think about things like uh, match fixing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is I did a story recently where I talked about a little bit about the some of the gambling that goes on and like the rare weapons uh, trading mm-hmm. on various marketplaces um, and skin betting. skin betting, which is like a whole nother thing that is we'll go into one day. But it's like one of those things where if you're not involved in video games at all, <laughs> you're absolutely perplexed by you're this like, idea. What is everyone <laughs> talking yeah. about? Yes. Um, <laughs> But don't you think that this is kind of the way that esports gets pulled out of like this Wild West gambling kind of like absolutely wild racism, like all the all the dark side stuff that goes on in gaming, the way it really gets cleaned up is corporate money and mm-hmm. some kind of institution yeah. that, that regulates stuff. I mean, it, it kind of seems like that's the way it's going and drug testing certainly will be a, be a part of that, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And I but I also understand why some players find that pathway unattractive. Right. I mean, like you just listed the the advantages, which is like, okay, great. So if we have corporate sponsors, then that means we need to have like anti-harassment policies right. at tournaments. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe we even have HR for for esports leagues so that we can deal with like interplayer harassment and, you know, HR problems and and also maybe those players start making actual salaries. Those are the great things about in- institutionalized anything um and and having more regulations for for player safety like that's that's my uh that's my socialist pitch <laughs> um but 
But I, I also recognize that there are a lot of esports players who are really against those things because they do fundamentally change the sort of accessibility of the sport in a way that is fundamental and will will be there will be no walking back from it once it starts to happen like fighting games are in a very different spot because they're one-on-one games they're not team-based and the entire culture behind them is different and it feels a lot more like pro wrestling in terms of the culture than you know like starcraft and league of legends and those games have been trying a bid for social legitimacy for many years and fighting games are cool with being underground and being underregulated and having sort of an amateur spirit where anybody can participate but i think that they will probably be the last to change but that's also like the area where i've seen the most people be like i don't want so many corporate sponsors to be getting interested in fighting games and to be like corporatizing fighting games because then it's going to lose what makes it special and what makes it feel amateurish and accessible to anyone but also like having these incredible pro players who are like at the top and it it's just it's a different vibe and i think as soon as you add corporate sponsors to anything there is the sense that like oh it's getting ruined we're selling out you know it's like bands <laughs> worrying about you know losing their indie scene i mm-hmm. i think i think that you know fighting games in particular still kind of have that sense of like we're this cool underground thing that no one understands and we don't even really want people to cover us because we feel like it's so special that that will be lost as soon as people try to say how cool we are there's a lot of that resistance with gamers anyway like distrust of the press and distrust of corporate sponsors um mm-hmm. But it's kind of understandable. I mean, I, I can see both sides of it. And esports is in a really weird spot, but that means it's a really fun time to cover it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of really weird stories that that we can tell about that journey and like what which types of leagues are going to embrace corporate sponsorships and like rise to the top and which types of leagues are going to push against that and why and what will happen to them. Yeah. Well, one of the happy byproducts of esports becoming a bigger business is that big sites want to cover it, which means yes. more jobs for <laughs> writers who write about esports, yeah, such as I yourself. Got, I got this cool job. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about Compete, which has been around for a few weeks now, what yeah. the sort of mandate for the site is, what sort of things you want to cover? And just what your background is, or if there is such a thing as a typical background for an esports writer in 2017, what it would look like. God, yeah, I don't know what it would look like. Um, well, I guess I'll answer the questions in order. Uh, <laughs> okay, compete. What is it? So Deadspin is a sports site at Gizmodo Media Group, and Kotaku is the video game one. And Tim Marchman and Steven Totilo kind of joined hands and were like, let's make a site together, a vertical that combines our powers, Voltron style. Mm-hmm. And so when we publish stories that compete, we've got Deadspin editors looking at them and we've got Kotaku editors looking at them. And it's a really unique situation. It's not something that either of these sites have really tried to do before that I know of. They all we're all working together to figure out what a dead spin slash Kotaku, we've been calling it dead taku voice <laughs> looks like, sounds uh-huh. like. Um so that's been really fun. And like compete, obviously we're covering competitive gaming, but we want to do it with the sort of irreverent, funny swear-filled voice of a Deadspin article, but also, you know, the the gamer's guide of, of Kotaku, the, the core gaming audience as well. And that line 
is very hard to walk yeah. because we're already seeing in our comment sections, like on my betting story, the Deadspin readers are all like, how the heck is esports betting not outlawed for anyone who is a staffer <laughs> on an esports team? That's crazy. What yeah. the heck? And all of our gamers are commenting and being like, I don't see why this is a big deal. Why would it be outlawed? And they're all arguing with each other because they're coming from completely different cultural uh, settings and they all read different websites and now they're all on the same website. And that's an interesting challenge in and of itself. So there's that, but also background. So it's for the moment compete is me and my coworker, Eric Van Allen are both the two staff writers. And we have some great freelancers who have helped us. We have a freelance budget. If people want to pitch to compete, they can. And we're covering a, a lot of different kinds of things. So Eric comes from more of, I guess, what you would consider a traditional esports reporting background. Compared to me, he did a lot of like, you know, daily beat coverage news items, and he's still doing that. And I do, I have a background of writing really long, weird stories, <laughs> like <laughs> this drug story, which is why I'm here today. Um, and I used to work for the Boston Phoenix for seven years until they went out of business. And then I worked for the Mary Sue for a couple of years. And I've freelanced for MIT's technology review and just other random places. But mostly I've written about a lot of different things, but I really like writing long features. And obviously, I think competitive gaming is very compelling. I've yeah. covered many games over the years, but this is my first time only having a staff writing job where I really, really focus on competitive gaming. Um, so that is new for me, but I've covered games a lot, so I feel comfortable in that space. But I think I was hired because I have a really long feature reporting background. Um, mm -hmm. So they they just wanted somebody who could take a lot of drugs and write about <laughs> it. I don't know. I, I guess that's why they hired me. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if that answered all your questions. Yeah, I can't it did. remember what the other what the middle one was. One question I've been pondering over for a while that seems like super obvious, but I'll I'll ask. It seems like in esports. Esports should be the perfect competitive space for some kind of like gender equality integrated teams, and you don't see it. You, would you, you think, don't, and right? you don't see it, um, <laughs> which doesn't yeah. make any like. There's no physical advantage. Uh, theoretically, mm -hmm. there's no reflex advantage. Is it just? Oh, you it, know is what it, though? You totally forgot that women are biologically. <laughs> well, no, but so, is like, it? That, is it really just that? Is your? It seems there. like the like the the most obvious answer is like structural uh, gender bias. Yeah. Is yeah. that? I mean, that's just it. That's what it is. That is what it is. And I mean, I God, talk about unpopular opinions I have that are going to eventually be at compete.com. Is this so popular? Um, is this like a really obvious? It is, like it just seems like it's really staring. freaking obvious, yeah. isn't it? I. There is no greater and more obvious evidence for the fact that that structural sexism exists than the fact that there are no women competing in, in top tier esports. And of course, people will tell you what I just jokingly said, which is like, oh, well, you know, women have trouble with spatial recognition and like <laughs> women just like can't figure out how to play games well. And, and that's why they're so bad at games. But actually, every study, every comprehensive study that has looked into that and has done long ranging, you know, studies of like women's behavior in World of Warcraft or like any other games that have been around for long enough that people can do really comprehensive studies on like who's, you know, good at games by whatever metrics you want to use. There's no evidence of that. There's no evidence that women are, are inherently worse at games. They're all signs point to all people being potentially equal. But, you know, we see the, these same studies in a lot of other areas like stereotype threat 
which is basically if you tell somebody they're going right. to be bad at something, then they will be. Like if you remind somebody before they take a math test, if you remind a group of people before they all take a math test, oh, by the way, w women are bad at math, then the women in the room will perform worse on the test mm -hmm. compared to a group of people where you just give them all the math test and you don't say anything ahead of time, which is really, really weird. And it's a subconscious thing that's like really hard to control for. And I mean, growing up, I've, you know, I've played games since I was like old enough to touch a keyboard. And I, I still remember people being like, well, women just aren't that good at games and they're not that good at math or science. Like that's just going to be something that you'll have to struggle with. Women are better at the arts. They're better at creative stuff. They're not good at puzzle solving, like all of these things that you just hear growing up and you internalize. So it's like, the biggest possible stereotype threat, right? Like eventually you're just like, oh, that must be true. And you, you've you internalized it. And like, how do you even get past that? But- You have to take Ambrotose complex, I guess. Yeah, you, yeah. So that's why I recommend that women everywhere investigate performance enhancing drugs so that they can finally beat their uh, opponents. Um. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's it's weird. And there, there's definitely a lot of like crappy arguments in, in esports spaces that are like the reason why women aren't here is because they just can't they can't do it. They're right. they're too sensitive right. or they aren't good enough at games for some made up biological reason. There's no actual or, or they'll use the market any of that, you know, the, the kind of the marketing yes. argument, which is we're trying to market, you know, the people that buy these games are right boys from yeah. 13 to 28 and therefore blah, 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 blah. They won't buy because of right. course, of course. And I think in competitive gaming in particular, there's this pervasive notion that women are inherently not competitive, uh, which is like really funny to me because I'm like, okay, what about all the socialization that women are all about competing with one another for male attention? What about that? Do you guys <laughs> not count beauty pageants and, and stuff like that? But I guess that doesn't count. That's that's a form of competition that isn't registered societally. So whatever. <laughs> but yeah, of course, humans are competitive. Humans enjoy competing with one another. And there's no there's no reason why women wouldn't also be part of these scenes. But, you know, there's a lot of sexism, so that's one problem. <laughs> <laughs> so last question, it seems sort of as if when esports is in relative to other longer established sports in a fledgling phase where it's still figuring out how everything works, it seems like to be a full-time esports writer, you kind of have to cover all the esports. Like you just write about esports and that encompasses everything or just looking at your archive at Compete, you know, you've written about Dota 2 and League of Legends mm -hmm. and Street Fighter and Hearthstone. Yeah. And it's everything, right? And like, you know, Jason and I cover sports too. And I write a lot about baseball. Jason writes a lot about basketball. No one asks us to write about football because we don't know enough to write about <laughs> I'm, football. I'm here though. <laughs> I could try. Here if, I could if, try. Like, Would anyone ask these two to yeah. write about football, please? They're waiting. <laughs> if like um, 11 other people at our site are unavailable, we're here, yeah. but no one asks us <laughs> to do it. Whereas you kind of have to cover well, almost everything or uh, theoretically yes i mean this is something that we talked about in the job interviews like how are we going to approach this because anyone who's hired for this job isn't going to be an expert in every single esport right and also fighting games a lot of fighting game players don't even like the term esports so that's why compete is a good name i've mm -hmm. just been saying competitive gaming to try to cover all my bases but <laughs> yeah esports i mostly am familiar with fighting games and Counter-Strike, which I used to play more when I was in high school, and Overwatch. And Eric, my colleague Eric Van Allen, is more familiar with Hearthstone and League of Legends and Dota 2. 
I did cover that Dota 2 betting story, but that's because I'd already, I was already familiar with the topic. Mm -hmm. So the way that we've been doing it, like I was already familiar with esports betting. I mean, not Mm -hmm. Dota 2. I don't understand Dota 2. (laughs) Confession. I don't get it. Um, But that's kind of how we're dividing up coverage for the moment is sort of like, okay, so I'm pretty familiar with fighting games. So I'm going to mostly cover that stuff, but sometimes Eric will cover it if I'm not available or whatever. But if there's a big Hearthstone story, I'm going to probably give it to Eric. Or if there's a big Street Fighter story, maybe I'll cover it. Or maybe a freelancer will come in. I mean, we're still dividing that stuff up. But for the moment, I'm not covering every single game because I'm not an expert on every single game. And I mean, nobody mm-hmm. can be. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something we're figuring out. And I, I think... You know, that would be the case, like no matter who they hired, there's no one, <laughs> there's no one who, who's played every single esport unless someone yeah. wants to call in to your show. I have. Say. Mm-hmm. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can replace me. I will, I will, it's me. <laughs> I will leave my throne in favor of Jason. If you can just find the right shady supplement that will give you <laughs> Dota 2 knowledge, you'll be able to cover everything. Yeah, I got to figure that out. That that was definitely something when I started the job. I was like, all right, so I already know about team-based shooters and I know about fighting games, but I got to learn all these MOBAs though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get good at these. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. I've tried to. All right. You can find Compete at compete.kotaku.com. You'll see it everywhere when you go to Kotaku and Deadspin. Posts are promoted all the time. You can find Maddie on Twitter at Mitty Myers and also at MittyMyers.com, which will also give you access to all of her other non-esports projects, including music and an X-Men podcast and a movie podcast. You're very busy. Are you sure you're doing this completely natural? (laughs) I'll never tell my secret. Weapon X. Weapon X. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we we hope you experience no side effects and we thank you for coming on. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with Dr. Kate McGee. Today's episode is brought to you by GM Street. It's a new podcast hosted by Kate Frazier and former NFL GM Mike Lombardi. The show gives you an insider's perspective on the NFL's biggest storylines from week to week. You can find it on our Ringer NFL Show podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get podcasts. Okay, so last week, Maddie's colleague at Compete, Eric Van Allen, wrote an article entitled Physical Therapists Are Helping Esports Pros Play More and Hurt Less. And the subject of that article was Dr. Kate McGee, who is a physical therapist and the leader of esports stat people, Standard Deviants, which is an excellent name for a group. She joins us now. Hi, Kate. Hey, nice to see you guys. Or here, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So if you could... Compare the type of injuries that esports pros suffer to those of more traditional athletes or bat and ball sport athletes. You know, is there a certain amount of wear and tear and repetitive injury that's unavoidable? Is it like a pitcher who throws a baseball and no matter what you do, it does a little bit of damage each time he throws and throw enough pitches and as careful as you are with preventative care, probably something eventually is there's going to be a problem that develops. Is it like that? Or can you manage an esports athlete's workload such that he never suffers a serious injury or she never does? 
So the biggest difference between traditional sports and esports is your likelihood of suffering a traumatic injury as a result of your uh, occupation is much mm-hmm. lower in esports. Uh, that doesn't mean that you know you can't still suffer a traumatic injury outside of the gaming arena that then carries over to your play that you have to deal with. Um, but you know you're not going to see too many sprained ankles or concussions as mm-hmm. a result of playing video games. Right. Repetitive stress injuries are something that anyone who does the same action over a period of time will eventually develop. That's not to say that they're inevitable, but if you aren't if you aren't appropriately managing the stresses you're applying to your body, then absolutely those stresses are going to build up because your body adapts to a certain point. Um, our bodies are designed to adapt to stresses. You know, that, that's why we have uh, weightlifting and cardio programs for people who aren't necessarily lifting weights. Like a soccer player isn't going to be bench pressing on the field, but they still need to have the muscular support for their joints. They still need to have the cardiovascular endurance to run. In the same way, an esports athlete is going to need to have the postural support, the stability at the base in order to have the mobility distally in the fingers and the hands. And in order to recover from stresses over time, your body's going to need to have some amount of endurance, some amount of resilience, and some amount of rest. Uh, so repetitive stress injuries really occur when it's position and time and frequency, I guess, would be a good way of putting it. Um, and mm-hmm. you can alter the position. Um, say, improve your ergonomics, but keep the duration and frequency of your activity the same. That's going to make you less likely to get injured because you've improved the position that your body's in. You might decrease the duration. You might play for less time over the course of a day, um, even with bad positioning. You're still slightly less likely, but hey, you'd be even more, you'd be even better off in terms of not getting injured if you both adjusted your position and then changed up your duration a bit, as in added more breaks or made sure that you were using your breaks more functionally in order to give your body active rest. A lot of what people hear when we say rest is don't do anything, uh, which is a big misconception and not at all a great way to recover, repair, or improve. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, you should be specifically resting from the repetitive stresses you're applying. That doesn't mean you're resting from everything. It means that you are stretching or strengthening or conditioning um, as appropriate to address those stresses that you're going to build up when you are actively gaming. So yes, to an extent, you're going to be applying the same stresses over time. So in that regard, you have a very high risk of developing a repetitive stress injury. But I don't think they're an inevitability for every single esports athlete. That being said, there's a big caveat of I don't think we have a, a long enough longitudinal sample we're really only reaching, you know, the the late 20s of the first generation that was able to make a living off of playing video games. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of in the next five to 10 years, especially what kind of things they're dealing with, because they've been doing this all along. I went to music school for college, and it seems to me like this, that's the most obvious corollary. It's not not athletics, actually, but mm-hmm. musicians. Would you say that's somewhat accurate? Absolutely. As with Musical instruments, anyone who's spending time at either a console or at a PC is going to be in a position that may be not ergonomically ideal, but necessary for what they're doing. You know, think how a violinist has to play. They're going to be doing very fine motor control, very precisely and very repetitively. Um, That's a really great analog. Have we figured out, like, if there is an ideal body position, it may not be realistic, but if there's an ideal body position for an esports gamer to be in, while playing either competitively or practicing 10, 12 hours a day, what would that be in theory? So the the best description for ideal that I can offer would really be neutral. It's 
you're going to be sitting. And obviously sitting for exceptionally long stretches of time isn't great. And you should absolutely break that up into smaller chunks of, you know, an hour, 90 minutes at a time. But during that time period, you want to be neutral to whatever extent possible. And that means that your feet are planted on the floor bearing some of the weight. That means that your pelvis is not tilted anteriorly or posteriorly, but is relatively neutral. That means that your lumbar spine is not excessively arched or rounded. It's supported with a pillow if you need it. That means that your thoracic spine, your upper back, is not excessively rounded or hunched. Um, instead, it's not quite flat, but again, neutral. It has, it has a natural kyphotic rounded curve. And it should be allowed to retain that curve, but not overemphasized. Your arms should be in neutral in that they're not excessively rotated out at your shoulders or excessively rotated in. Your wrists should be in neutral in that they're not excessively extended or flexed or bent towards your thumbs or towards your pinkies, which is uh, radial and ulnar deviation. So to whatever extent you are able to assume a position that keeps your joints in those more neutral postures, the more of you keep in neutral, basically, the more ergonomic you're going to be. And how much can certain equipment help or hurt? So one of the big things that I get a lot of questions about is wrist rests, especially for um, both keyboards and for mice. Uh, And the answer to whether or not they and other pieces of supportive equipment are helpful is usually it depends. So if your setup is such that a wrist rest, especially resting against the heel of your hand where the muscle and bone is, as opposed to over the wrist itself, where it really would compress your carpal tunnel and your Guillain's canal, where there's nerves and tendons running through. If that causes your wrist to be in a more neutral position, excellent. Keep using it. If, like me, your hands are a little on the smaller side and a wrist rest might force your hand out of a comfortable position, especially on the mouse, then no, they're not going to help you. Um, Same thing goes for when you talk about certain peripherals like gaming chairs. They'll work if they fit your body size. So I could not sit in a size extra large DX racer and expect to get good ergonomics out of it because it wouldn't fit me properly. In the same vein, you know, somebody like, I don't know, I guess Puppy in Dota is a fairly good example of like a very tall individual. He would not at all fit in my chair, even though it's ergonomically ideal for me, it'd be terrible for him. Um, So it's very much about um, individualizing your setup in order to make your setup match your ergonomics. Mm Mm-hmm. And how long have you been treating esports athletes and what was the state of the field when you found it as far as awareness of these issues or attempts to prevent injury? Uh, So I've been working in gaming for about two years now. Mm -hmm. And I I certainly don't want to make any claim that I'm, you know, originating a field or anything like that because I'm not. I just, I happen to be a physical therapist who also likes gaming and there are enough people who can benefit from what I know of physical therapy and how they use it in gaming. I've been really lucky to work with some fantastic colleagues in my time here. Um, One of them is Matt Wu, who works over at CLG. He's uh, their director of wellness. I had a chance to work with the guys from Game Without Pain up in Canada, who are doing some really awesome wellness and prevention. I've been following the work of Dr. Levi Harrison. He's uh, got a background in orthopedics. He does Twitch and YouTube broadcasts as well. So it's not as though there aren't medical professionals with interest and with effort and with work and time in the field. A lot of it is just connecting medical professionals to people who are listening. Um, And I think the good news is, as I mentioned earlier, um, we're kind of reaching that that first generation that's really been able to make a consistent living off of gaming as a career. And that generation is starting to encounter injuries as a result of, oh, maybe I should have paid attention to this a little bit more when I was a teenager. Maybe I should have worked on my posture. Maybe I should have, you know, not just dismissed those elbow pains out of hand, no pun intended. 
as they are more open about the injuries they're having, um, younger players and teams and organizations are paying more attention to huh, how do we how do we have this not become an issue down the line? Uh, I think a big part of of why I've been able to work with as many people as I have and why it's been going as well as it has is that I happened into the scene at a time that everybody was realizing, hey, there's something we could be doing. We just don't know what it is. And I have a couple ideas about what might help. Going back to my musician experience, sometimes it seems like, uh, you know, there's just certain things that you can't avoid. Competitions, practicing at certain times, you can make your posture better. But if you're going to have to practice for six hours, sometimes sometimes you have to do that. Mm -hmm. How can players modulate what they do in the downtime in a way that can make them healthier for when they're on their sticks? The first thing is to kind of have a, a set schedule of when you're going to take your breaks. And that schedule doesn't have to necessarily be exactly 60 minutes on the mark or exactly 90 minutes on the mark. That's the suggestion. But I recognize that, you know, Dota matches, sometimes they involve Naga and they go for over 100 minutes. And, yeah. You know, sometimes you play like, I don't know, you play three rounds of chic dittos and you get absolutely wrecked and you don't want to play anymore. You've only been playing for 15 minutes, but have a set schedule in mind of, okay, after, after two matches, I'm going to stretch or, you know, when we're queuing and it's taking longer than this amount of time, I'm going to stretch. Um, having some set schedule in mind is the first step to making sure that you're actually doing things productively during your rest. And then have a plan for what you know you want to do, you know, having a stretching routine ahead of time, knowing that you want to do icing or heating afterwards, knowing that maybe you want to break out a foam roller or the stick or something like that. And then during your breaks, pay attention to what your body's telling you. If there's an area that you know is bound to get tight, like if you know that you're going to be playing Fox in a tournament, if you're playing melee, for example, that's a higher APM character. You know that's going to be more of a demand on you. You know that it's specifically going to stress your forearm extensors more because that's what it historically has in the past. So you make a plan that during your rest breaks, one of the stretches you are always going to do every single time is for those forearm extensors. So having an idea of what you know you'll need to do in advance. Um, and then listening to your body once you're in the moment. So after you after that first two matches, after that first hour, after whatever time period limit you set for yourself within that big six hour block that you know you're going to have to practice paying attention to what your body's telling you in terms of what feels tight what feels loose what needs resetting how is my breathing um, checking those four things are probably the the easiest or at least the simplest way um, to make sure that you're you're using what rest time you have available to you as efficiently as you can. And equipment and posture being equal, are there games and even play styles within games that are riskier than others? Oh, definitely. Something like, um, I guess this, I, I suppose this isn't quite so much in eSport, but um, any of like the rhythm games, um, because that's uh -huh. a really, really small movement. Anything, the higher the APM, the higher your injury risk um, because of course if you're doing more actions you're applying more stresses over a, a higher number of of actions um, or a higher mm -hmm. number of stresses um, which means that your risk is higher as a result i've noticed that like certain um, hand positions too will definitely put you at higher risk you know something like a, a claw grip for, on the mouse where your fingers are drawn up and you're kind of tapping with the tops of your fingers as opposed to resting your whole hand on the mouse or having inappropriately sized equipment and having to grip really tightly with because you have larger hands and you know a controller only comes in one size uh, for a GameCube controller for example um, having to to crunch your hands up really small and really tight those can can definitely increase your risk but in terms of 
if you're if you're asking if there's one particular game that I think causes people the highest injury risk, I don't think there's really any one single game. Um, I just think there's play styles and awareness within the game, and then there's to an extent there's there's your genetics. You know, there's we affect all the things that we possibly can. We do all the things we possibly can do to prevent injury. But you know, in the same way that we're not all Abby Wambach, we're also not all hungry box you know we're not we're not all going to have low injury risk just because we do all the right things Mm -hmm. what are the what are the most common things you see let's see in order issues with tendons which is a really general category uh but that's the vast majority of what i see is some tendon or another um either inflammation or poor mobility or poor positioning tendon issues tendinopathies first of all after that poor posture leading to back pain or neck pain after that, probably elbow uh, epicondylitis, um, inflammation of the epicondyles on either side of the elbow. I think those are probably the, th- the three most common that I see. And I know that you recently reviewed the Smashbox, an alternative controller for GameCube, and you found that maybe it has at least the potential to be more yes, ergonomically safe. I, sh- I should note that the model that I reviewed was the first prototype they made. That's not mm-hmm. the one that they are, they are currently kickstarting. The one that they are uh-huh. currently kickstarting did incorporate some of my suggestions, some of their own developments, um, and is different uh, than than the one that's featured on my site currently. This is this is the mm-hmm. very early prototype. So I know there's been some debate about should it be tournament legal yep. and what should be tournament legal. So if there is a conflict between legality and safety, essentially, I guess those things could always be in some kind of conflict unless people just start designing default controllers that are already perfect and safe. <laughs> um, but do you lean one way or another? Do you think that there should be some leeway allowed for a controller that is safer, even if it maybe does give the player some sort of advantage? Or how do you negotiate that? So I think to every extent possible, the mapping of any ergonomically designed controller should not give you an advantage over over a t- traditionally designed controller, especially because if the goal of an, a more ergonomic controller is to promote accessibility to a game, make more people able to play it with less injury, uh, there's still going to be a price point involved, which is going to decrease accessibility to that game. So to whatever extent possible, I think if you're going to make an alternative controller, it should absolutely match the the setup, I guess, or the one button does one thing input, I suppose, of of a traditional controller. That being said, I'm not a tournament organizer. I don't make rules for anybody anywhere. And my authority on the legality of things should be completely and totally disregarded. Um, <laughs> however, so obviously as as someone who wants to see players playing more and hurting less, um, I would love to see uh, more ergonomic controllers be legal. But I recognize that that can come at the cost of competitive ethics. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we're going to ever come up with the ergonomically ideal controller, which I think leaves enough wiggle room that, A, we can come up with an alternative controller that will still be legal and more ergonomic for some people. Um, and I think, B, with whatever controllers exist, we can always find a way to help people play on them more ergonomically. So I don't think that you will have to have a Smashbox in order to play with good ergonomics. I think that for some people, it's going to be their only option. You know, if you have a history of injury, maybe, or if you have particular issues, um, congenitally speaking. But I don't think we're going to get to the point where the only way to play ergonomically is to play on a Smashbox or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. I think there is a happy middle road. 
And how have you seen the industry change during your time in it? And how do you think it will continue to evolve as far as teams having in-house resources and, and people like you employed full time and paying more attention to keeping their players safe and healthy? Because obviously, as the stakes increase, the potential penalty of losing a player aside from just the, the personal concerns, but the, the financial impact right. of having someone unavailable will continue to climb. And so you'd think that teams will continue to devote more resources to paying attention to this. Um, I think since since my since beginning to get involved in the scene, what I've observed is that more people are talking about their injuries now. It's no longer seen as like this just inevitable consequence of I'm playing lots of games. I should hurt at some point. That means that I'm playing enough. Um, that means that I'm practicing enough. That means I'm going to get good enough. Um, it's no longer yeah. assumed that you have to be feeling pain in order to get gains. I think more people talking about their injuries, what they're doing to prevent them, say asking for help to prevent them, asking for help to manage them. I think all of those things are really great signs. Uh, I think the fact that so many more people are interested in prevention as opposed to just treating a thing once it happens is even better. I think moving forward, the future of the scene is really going to involve kind of in the same vein that NFL or NBA players have. Uh, team athletic trainers or team PTs or team doctors or whatever. I think that organizations are going to start to have an in-house medical professional of some sort, someone who can help with prevention, help with treatment, help with management. I think it's already started for some organizations. I think that's the the way that it's most likely to become an esports wide change. The biggest limitation right now for me is I work at tournaments. I do telemedicine consults with patients over Skype sometimes. I'm limited in my ability to follow up in person because of where players are located and the fact that tournaments only happen every so often. And if if we're going to, as a scene, have players who are consistently preventing or consistently treating or consistently managing their issues, we're going to need somebody consistently with them in person, which means having teams or organizations, having somebody in-house and on board to manage that. Something tells me telemedicine is the future of medicine. Uh, jumping back to controllers just for a second, you know, a lot of the custom controllers, whether they be mice or pads or actual console controllers, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the design features are about kind of functionality within the game, um, moving buttons around, allowing different buttons to do different things. How much do uh, manufacturers care about ergonomics right now? And do you see it changing at all? So this this may well be confirmation bias because uh, the people who I tend to get followed by and messaged by about controllers are the ones who are interested in ergonomics. But in the past three months, I've talked to more people who are specifically designing ergonomic controllers than I have in the past two years. Um, so I think we're hitting a point where people are recognizing, hey, you know what? Maybe we don't have to do it this way just because it's always been done this way. Maybe we can, while still keeping it you know, tournament legal, design something that makes people less likely to get injured. I think there's a lot of interest in that from the from the mechanical and building side of things, as well as from the player side of things. And, you know, obviously from the medical side of things. Um, so I think we're kind of hitting a really nice trifecta now. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, hopefully greater awareness will prevent more of the career ending or potentially career ending injuries that we've seen in some esports. And we appreciate your taking the time. I know this isn't even your day job, even though it sounds <laughs> like you right. devote a lot of time to, to I do taking care of esports athletes. It's a, it's really, it's really rewarding to be able to contribute to the community um, in a way that helps other people because I happen to love, you know, among other things, I love PT and I love gaming and I get to combine both of them. That's 
it's pretty good for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, you can find Kate on Twitter at Kate McGee PT. You can find her website, which has a lot of articles and guides and videos and tips about how you should and shouldn't look while you're playing video games <laughs> at playmorehurtless.gg. I'm sure some of these tips are helpful for all of us, even if we yeah. don't make any money playing video games and aren't <laughs> even that good at yeah. them. <laughs> but Kate, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to join you guys. Thanks. Okay, so that is it for today. We actually have two episodes coming next week, which is something we want to do more often when our schedules permit. At the end of next week, we will talk about at least our early impressions of Mass Effect Andromeda. We'll also talk about a book we're reading right now called Moral Combat. It's about violence in video games. But we'll be back on Tuesday to talk about esports statistics and Ghost Recon Wildlands, a game you've been playing. I have. And I'll, and I'll <laughs> save thoughts. my take. I, I have thoughts. I'm writing a review. I'll save my takes. All right. In the meantime, people can check out a group post we did on TheRinger.com about the best video games since Ocarina of Time. You and I wrote about Grand Theft Auto 3, and I wrote about Halo and land party nostalgia. It wasn't intended to be a comprehensive list, but we still made some Dark Souls fans mad in the comments. You can find a link to that and to all the other stuff we're doing at our Twitter account, AchievementPod. Good to talk to you, Jason. We will be back soon. 